0: If you would please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. We're moving our way through this, this passage. This is such a rich passage, and I find myself going very slowly through these few verses because it's a significant passage, not only in the book of Proverbs, but in the whole book of the Bible. Such a, a succinct message or We just have to unpack it. See what God has for us. Let me begin reading in verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run... Rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brethren let's go to the Lord in prayer, Father it is by the your sovereign hand that we are here today that you have allowed us to be together as a congregation and set under the teaching of the word Lord may we submit ourselves to it may we glean from each word here, the message that you have for us, and may we apply it. May we do it. May we change the things in our life that need to be changed, the things in our heart, the things in our mind, in our thinking that needs to be changed. Lord, may our minds, may our, may we line up with your word and love what you love and hate what you hate. I thank you again for the opportunity to be together and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We seem to live in an age now that seems to be rapidly moving into this idea of every man doing what is right in their own eyes. As the, uh, the days after Joshua, that's what was said about the people in, of Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It is a little subjective. Good and evil is a little subjective. I picked up a hitchhiker the other day, and usually we get into a conversation. As soon as they find out I'm a pastor, the conversation usually turns to something spiritual. And I had this this young man. He said that you know he just narrowed everything down to well, I, I you know I hate the devil and I love God. That's the bottom line. I hate the devil and I love God. And I, well that's good. That's a good start. But that's pretty shallow theology. There's not a whole lot of depth there. We can be like uh, Augustine. And Augustine kind of summarized the Christian life as that you just love God and do whatever you want to do. And there's an element to that. We're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. But And we can just say, well, I'm going to love what God loves and hate what God hates. But that's a little broad we need to understand a little bit deeper than that our thinking about god has to go has to go a little deeper and he has not left us alone just to kind of make up what what pleases him and what doesn't please him he has informed us he has let us know of these things and we need to uh, we need to understand exactly what it is that pleases god and He has told us that. He has told us that. He has not left us in this ambiguity, this, this uh, world of just not knowing. He, he's told us what it is to please Him. And our value system is to reflect His value system. We are to take on His value system. And establish that firmly in our life. And we can know what God expects of us. We can know that. We don't have to to live in this world. Well, I've got good theology and and that's all I need. No, on a practical day-to-day life, God has told us how to live. How to live. And this passage, for me, is is bringing clarity even to the Christian life. Even though it's written in the Old Testament, this has brought so much clarity. And Solomon is doing that. He is telling us what God hates so that it brings clarity to his son's life. Now when a person joins themselves with God, when a person becomes a, a Christian, we, even us who have fallen short, man who has fallen short of God's glory, God takes us and he is restoring us back to that glory. And we need to see our lives in that way. He's restoring us back to that glory. And it's a radical change. It's, it's a, it's both a, a shift in the heart, inside us and in our actions it's not just our actions but it's the way we think the way we react the things that we do and the holy spirit is doing that he has placed the holy spirit within us to bring about this change in our life and the holy spirit is producing fruit it's producing fruit and that fruit is going to be consistent with the very nature of god that's what god loves what god hates and it's going to be consistent. There's a consistency there with His divine nature. In fact, uh, we will never be gods, but we can be godly. We can be godlike. And that's the direction of the Christian life. Now, there's two parts to that, and we need to understand this. There's two parts to that. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, He takes away in our life those desires, that, um, that love or that appetite, we might say, for ungodly things and he replaces them with with godly things with godly thinking with godly action and both have to happen both have to happen you can you can uh, an unbeliever can just take away sin from his life he can stop doing one particular sin but usually another sin is going to fill in the gap just the way we are I'll try to illustrate this. If you've ever tried to clean a, a coffee pot, and it can be a little hard because coffee is dark. And if if that pot is uh, half full of coffee, uh, you don't just stick the soap in there and try to clean it. No, you have to dump the the dark water out and put clean water in. That's that's the idea. To be clean, that's what you have to do. We have to place, replace unrighteousness with righteousness. It has to be done. And as a believer, as a true, with a true relationship with God, we have to hate what God hates. We don't just believe a certain way. We don't just do certain things. We have to, we have to hate what God hates. We have to love what God loves. It's a radical change in our life. Now, the question then is, what does God hate? What does God hate? And Solomon is laying this out for us. Seven things that God hates. We've seen uh, last week, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen he hates, number one, his haughty eyes. He hates haughty eyes. That's pride in our life. And we are to put on humility. He hates a lying tongue, number two. That's, that's uh, distorting the truth for our own good. And what we put in place of that is speaking the truth in love. Number three, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. That's an angry, murderous heart. And that angry, murderous heart is to be replaced with a soft, gentle answer. We've seen. Now, number four, we've come to this today. And in verse 18, we're going to look at two of them today. A heart that devises wicked plans heart that devises wicked plans. And this is, you may think of, uh, the first thing that may come to mind is you've got this mad scientist. You know, you may see him and he's behind his desk there and he's got test tubes and he's pouring test tubes in, into one another and he's making some kind of concoction that's going to cause him to be able to take over the world and, where he's uh, working on this Frankenstein kind of character. He's a mad scientist. He's just doing that kind of stuff. And you may think that But that is not really what Solomon has in mind here. We need to understand this. This is talking about a heart. This is a person. This is the person. Now this is the crucial part of the person. This is the crucial part. Everything comes down to the heart. Everything comes from the heart. The issues of life, the Bible says... This is the inner man. The Hebrews would understand that there's two parts to man. The inner man and the outer man. The outer man is what you see. The body. But the inner man is the real person. And this is the internal makeup of the person. The location of the mind. Location of the will and the emotions. The conscience. The desire to do good and evil. Discernment to do good or bad. This is the real person. Okay? The heart. And he's got plans. This is a heart that, that plans. And a plan is a, a series of steps to carry out a, a particular goal. To accomplish a goal, right? You might uh, think of it as, as blueprints, if you've ever seen blueprints to a house, there's a lot of detail. It's really amazing. Big paper, you roll, unroll it, and it has every little detail of your house that you would want to know. And it's all on paper well before the, the foundation is poured, well before everything is laid out, even probably before the materials are bought. It tells you which way the doors are going to swing open and tells you where the position of your toilet is going to be, if you want to know that. And he's devising He's devising. These are schemes. These are plotting. This is, his mind is always working. The word devising there is the word to cut through or to plow. Okay? And the idea is that he's cutting against the grain of society. He doesn't, doesn't matter what's in his way. He is calculating and everything is out for his good. Whether it's good or bad, he's, it's out for his good. That's what makes these wicked plans. He's out to do wicked plans. And he's devising wicked plans. This is not God's will to be done. This is his will to be done. These are objectionable behaviors, or we would say evil behaviors. Evil behaviors. Okay? This is not God's will, but his will. God's plan is not God's plan. He is the center. He is the center. That that sounds just like all men. This man, though, he will cut across all the social norms. He'll cut across any rules or ethics. And he will use people for his glory. He will use people to do his plans. Fulfill his will. Now, I keep coming back to this idea, but this is a normal person. We all have the potential of this kind of heart within ourselves. Now, we tend to think that evil is something outside of us. It became a pretty famous acknowledgement when Ronald Reagan titled and acknowledged that the the Russian Empire was an evil what? An evil empire. Remember that? Well, some of you might remember that. He called it an evil empire and the world just Gasps. It was an evil empire. And in Bush, uh, President Bush, when uh, the men kidnapped these planes or hijacked these planes, and they flew them into the Twin Towers in New York, President Bush said, this is evil. This is evil. And so we think of evil as those big things outside of us. But, but we find, when we look at Scripture, that evil resides within the heart. Resides within the heart. And it makes wicked plans. Wicked plans that exclude what God wants, exclude the benefits of others, and, and puts me at the center. Now, that's the idea here. That's the idea. Now, let's look at a background quickly of the, of the heart. Let me just uh, kind of overwhelm you with some some information here. But there's a couple of passages that I want you to look at. I'm not going to read through those. You can see the, the characteristics of an unrenewed heart. You can see that. In Genesis chapter 5, though, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we have God's commentary on man. Let me just read it for you. He says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent, that's every thought, every intent, every motive, every intent of the thought of his heart, was always evil continuously. That's pretty strong. But that's God's commentary on the earth just before He brought the flood into the earth. Now it's not just He drew that conclusion, He points that out to us. He's letting us know, this is the heart of man. This is why I'm flooding the earth and I'm going to start all over again. And the same result... Uh, after the flood is 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 this same thing the heart of man every intent of the thought of man man is always devising wicked plans he is always looking after self other people are pawns in his world and that was part of the passage that was read for us earlier by uh, by LA in Psalm chapter 39 or 36 he says transgression speaks to the ungodly without Within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He doesn't care what God wants. He just is going to do what he wants. And if you skip down to verse... Well, it's such a good passage. But the word... uh, Verse 3. The word of his mouth. Are wicked and and deceitful. He has has ceased from being wise. And uh, doing good. His plans... He plants wickedness upon his bed. That is, at night he's tossing to and fro, just thinking about these things, planning these things. And he sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. doesn't despise evil. The wording there is so important. But that's the commentary on man. You can see the condition of man's heart is not good. This is a person that's driven by self. The New Testament would call this selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. This is the pursuit of your, his own passion. You say, well, well, God gives him the passions, right? God, God gives us the, what we desire and gives us our passions. But no, this, these are, this is not God's desires. This is from the flesh. It's from the flesh. It's motivated by envy and greed and, and pride and status and selfishness sensual desires, control, usually control, I want control, notoriety or pleasure. And and the list can just go on and on and on. But it's self at the core. And a person is never more like Satan than when he is planning, when he is scheming. That's what Satan does. Satan is a good, good example of this. Now, we still may have a hard time understanding this. See, well, I understand the heart is, heart is a evil heart. Look, I'm not all that bad. That's that's kind of what we tell ourselves. There's three passages that you need to know. You need to understand. The first one is Jeremiah, 17, is verse nine. There's three passages here that, that we need to get. Verse nine says the heart is deceitful than all else the heart is more deceitful than all else and his and is desperately sick who can understand it okay let me read that again the heart is more deceitful than all else it is desperately sick who can understand it now there's three things that we need to understand it's sometimes hard for us to see the evil in our heart but the bible tells us that we that, that the heart is deceitful the heart is sick and we can't really even understand it. Now, there's a lot of people out there today that think that they've got it down. That they know what the heart is like. But there's, there's something that we need to know. The heart is worse than we think. Your heart, my heart, is worse than you think. So, just by application. We do not trust our heart. We do not trust our heart. Our heart will tell us, Oh, you're okay. You're a pretty good person. Compare yourself with other people. But the reality is, is you are desperately sick. More than you will know. More than your heart will recognize. And number two, we need to accept that diagnosis. Accept that diagnosis. And here's what we tend to do. We, we tend to just, like myself, haven't been to the doctor in a while. And I say, a while... Um, it's probably been seven years since I've been to a doctor. So that's a little while. So my wife decides, you need to go to the doctor. So she set me up on a doctor's appointment tomorrow at 12.30. So I'm going to go to... I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want him to tell me what's wrong with me. I know. I know. Basically, I don't want to accept the diagnosis that he might say. The reality... Carl, you're getting old. I don't want to accept that. And that's just like the rest of us. We don't want to accept the Bible's definition or the Bible's diagnosis of our problem. We're okay. Now the reality is, and here's another thing, is we've got to trust what the Bible says. We have to have something outside of ourselves, something objective to tell us, yes, you're officially sick. I can, I say I feel good. I feel fine. I feel fine. But I have to have a doctor to tell me, no, look, your blood work is not good. This is, this is, these are symptoms of a bigger problem. You have to have something outside yourself that we do not trust our own heart. We think we're pretty good. It'll tell us that we're pretty good. But the reality is that we are sick. There's another passage you need to know. That's James chapter 3. James chapter three. You say, "Well, how in the world can we tell? How do we know um, who is good and who is not? How do we know if it's from God or if it's not from God? Or, you know, how how can if we all have evil hearts, then where do we turn?" James chapter three, verse thirteen says this: "Who among you is wise?" how do we know who the wise person is how do we even know who to follow who is wise and understanding who has the answers let him show by his good behavior with the deeds in the gentle uh, good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. How do we know if wisdom's from God? Gentleness. It's both what they do, their behavior, but also how they do it. The gentleness of wisdom. This is God's wisdom. Now look, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, now there's our term, there's our idea. Selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. Now that's what tends to happen. We don't even recognize our selfish ambition here. We're just doing what comes naturally. We're just doing. We're just following our heart. This is selfish ambition, and we don't even we don't even uh, uh, acknowledge it. And he says, No, look! Don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. What's the truth? The word of God. The the word of God points these things out to us." In verse fifteen. This is not. That which comes down from above. That this is earthly, that is detached from God, not spiritually. It's just confined to man's wisdom. Earthly, natural, that is from our flesh, from the flesh of man. Just degrading passions, we might say. Or demonic. It could be that Satan himself is just introducing these ideas and this wisdom into our life. It could be demonic and you're just following after these things. He says don't trust those things. Don't trust those things verse 16 for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist disorder and every evil thing. Now, how can you tell? You look at your own heart. What am I jealous about? What do I really want. If you see those things existing. Disorder. I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And I will turn. I will overturn anything. I will cut through. I will plow through. Whatever to get my own way. But verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then ge- peaceable. And gentle. Reasonable. Full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering. Without hypocrisy. Now. We have something to go by. We can evaluate our lives a little bit. And it goes on. There's another passage that we need to know. Just turn over a few pages from James to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's very simple. This is a very simple one. We have to submit to God. We have to recognize that the heart is worse than we think it is. We have to also look at the evidence of our life. And then number three is we have to... First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But sanctify, that is set aside, set apart, Christ as Lord in your heart. Oh, now, You have to understand, this is talking about submitting to Him. We, he is Lord of our heart. We just submit to that. It's not my will be done, but your will be done. Your will be done. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 that I died. and the life that I now live, I live in Christ. Christ is the one's calling the shot. There's no selfish ambition here. God is the one leading. God is the one doing this. In Galatians chapter 5, he talks about we're, we don't walk in the flesh. But we walk by the Spirit. And that's the idea. Let's just apply these things. Number one, the obvious application is we need a new heart, Right? We need a new heart. God has to work in that heart. So how do you get a new heart? Well, you cry. You recognize that sinfulness. That You recognize that sinful heart. You recognize what the Word of God says. And you cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's That's it. We turn from that sin. We see that nastiness. We turn from that. We turn to Christ in faith. Number two as believers, just by way of application, we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to love the Lord our God. Do you really love God? That's the bottom line. He should be, He is the reason that we do everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, everything that we do, we do to the glory of God we love others as ourselves now this is this is the picture of this is christ isn't it he said i did not come to do my own will but the will of him who sent me i came to do god's will and that's all that he would do that's all that he would do another application number 3 is we purify our own hearts with the word we confess that sin, we repent of that sin, forsake of that sin, and we practice righteousness. We practice righteousness. Now, here's the, and this is a daily thing, folks. This is just a daily thing. And I find it in my own heart. We have to continuously purify our hearts. We have to continuously, you know, picture a dirty diaper, alright? You don't just take off the old diaper and throw that away and put on a clean diaper, right? I mean, some of you, you, you guys know that. Some of you, you have to wipe things down. You have to clean things off. It doesn't do any good to just try to put on a, a, a clean diaper when things have not been wiped down. Folks, that's our heart. I know it's gross. I know it's gross. But that's the reality. And that's a graphic picture of our hearts. We are constantly confessing before God, repenting before God. And and I see this in my own heart. That's the Christian life, folks. That's what you see in Romans chapter 7 when Paul is just, just saying, I don't do the things that I really want to do and the things that I shouldn't do. Those are the things I find myself doing. He's just wiping that down. He's trying to clean that heart. Number four. Is we keep our hearts with all diligence. So that just means don't look at pornography. No. We don't let anything into our hearts. That, That is ideas. The world's ideas. The world's entertainment. The world's thinking. The world's value system. Anything that's in the world should be suspect and should be fall under the grid, if you will, of the Word of God. We are to take every thought captive. So we're constantly guarding this heart. We don't let things of the world come into this heart. And number five is that we overcome evil with good. And I'll let you read that in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. That's our biggest weapon, folks. Within our own self... How do I stop planning? How do I stop uh, manipulating people for my own benefit, for my own good? By doing good. That's our weapon. That's our weapon. You plan good. You plan what is good. You go out and do good works. You get involved in those type of things. And it's not my will be done, but your will be done. Now let's move on. We see that God hates a heart That devises wicked plans. God hates it. To him, it's a dirty diaper. To him, it's nasty. He hates it. Number five is feet that run rapidly to evil. Go back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 18. Feet that run rapidly to evil. He's telling us very plainly here's what God hates. These are feet. He's moved all the way from the head, uh, from the eyes to the tongue, to the hands, to the heart, now down to the feet. Now this is the direction of the life. This is the direction of, of the, uh, the person. What they're looking at, the actions of the heart, and it's or, or the actions of the life, and it's tied to the heart. Tied to the heart. What the heart does, the feet is gonna, or the what the heart longs for, the feet is gonna run after. And he's running rapidly. This is a high speed. He's not just looking at a distance. He's not just curious. He's not slowly walking. He is running after these things. This is the desire of his heart. Enthusiasm and excitement toward evil. Toward evil. And that is misery and injustice and distress and hurting people. It's like the the picture of you have the two lovers in the field, you know. You have one on one side and the other on the other side. And you have daisies all over the place. And they're they're running toward each other. They just love each other. And they finally get to one another. And they embrace one another. And they... It's love. It's the picture of love. That's what's happening here. He's running after. This is the desire of his heart. His heart's finally getting what he wants, and he is moving toward that. This is the rebel at heart. The rebel at heart that's, that's kind of, well, he may be in a, a good home, but boy, we know his heart. There's, there's something there that's enthusi- that has enthusiasm for a chance, for an opportunity to, to do wrong, to go after sin. It's, he finds it, it's it's good fortune when he has that opportunity to, to sin. He, he would uh, see himself as, as, he gets to see himself as the bad guy or the, the naughty girl kind of thing. The heart is finally unleashed to do what it wants to do. Now this is an emotional appeal. This is an emotional element. This is just running after evil without thought, throwing caution to the wind. This is the thrill and the excitement of doing the evil. Recently, we've been seeing a lot of mobbing in in streets. Uh, It's probably not just recently. I know it's been going on for years. But but any little thing just sets people off. And and all of a sudden, they want to break windows and and want to uh, tear things up. They finally get to do what they want to do within their own heart this kind of mob mentality since we're all together we can we can just justify it and we don't have to follow the rules or it might just be when mom and dad are gone man mom and dad are gone wow we can do whatever we want that's kind of the idea and you have young people many times that were in are in christian homes and and what they do is they see the world and the world is so appetizing to them and they see this uh, and they think they're they're missing out somehow they want to they want to just join the world and that's where all the fun is going to be held and they see the world as the world's evil as cool and hip and fun. It's where the movers and shakers are. It's where the things of beauty or or maybe the intelligentsia. That's where many times I, I've seen people fall. Because they they see These people who seem to be so intelligent. And they just jettison what they know, the scripture says, and they join the world. Why? Because that's really where their heart is taking them in the beginning. This is an appetite for evil. That's what it comes down to. An appetite for evil. Just look at what the Bible says. that Man is evil by nature. We don't like to know that. We don't like to acknowledge that, but that's the real reality of it. There's a magnet in all of us toward the world. And we can, we can be drawn that way. I know my own heart. You, you know your own heart. And if we let ourselves go, we can be drawn to that. Number two, evil comes from within. It comes from within the heart. It's not out there. It is out there, but it's also in our hearts. Number three, God is God is too, too too pure to behold evil. Now this is the very reason that God doesn't have relationship with man now. Because he's too pure for the evil that's in our heart. And the evil that we live among on a daily basis. Evil brings God's judgment. Evil uh, is called uh, a particular age. We are in this age of evil. This evil age. Evil is overcome by good. Believers are to run from evil. Believers are to hate evil and abhor evil. Now, let's just apply these things. God hates feet that run rapidly toward evil. We need to see, and this is just by way of application, we need to see the world's system for what it really is. I'll show you one verse, and this is in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, Do not love the world. Do not love the world, nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's from the world. And we need to see the world for what it is. If you want to lose your appetite for the world, just look at the world for what it is. It's just all of this flesh coming out. That's what the world is. And yet, so often, we sat and long after, oh, if I wasn't a Christian boy, I would do this. And I long after that, and I long after that. That's the idea. We would run, just given the opportunity, we would run toward that evil. That has messed up priorities. That's messed up priorities. The world is leading us toward evil. Evil in its thinking, evil in its priorities, evil in its entertainment, and its reactions. And the world thinks that that through education we can make the world better and better and better. But we know better than that. It's a spiritual problem. That's the problem with man. It's a spiritual problem. It's not just an educational problem. Back in the 60s, there's this sexual revolution. Oh, we just want to educate the world and and let this all out. And today we see the the pornography that we have today because it wasn't squelched. We see the sex trafficking that we have today. Oh, that's the, the world's attempt to address the heart, the sinfulness of the heart. And folks, here's what Christians many times do. They like to follow after the world. They like to kind of go after the world, just looking for opportunities opportunities to sin, opportunities to to maybe, without anybody knowing it. It's like following a garbage truck. Who wants to follow a garbage truck? Besides, it's slow and it's just stinky. Nobody wants to follow after a garbage truck. You're behind the garbage and you can smell that thing and they're stopping and all this kind of stuff. And Nobody wants to do that, but yet that's what we do to the world. We have to recognize the world for what it is. It is an evil system. Evil system. Number two, we have to exercise faith in the Word of God. This is what's important. We exercise faith in the Word of God. Turn over a couple pages, 1 John chapter 5. This is for whatever, verse 4 for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How do you overcome the world? And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We continue to put faith in the word of God. The world is going to say, "Oh, don't trust that book. Don't trust that book. It's going to steer you wrong. It's not sufficient enough. You need you need other things." And we have to exercise faith in that. We don't follow after the garbage of the world. Number three, we cultivate a desire for good. We cultivate a desire for good. Let me tell you this illustration, try to illustrate this. When we lived in Hershey, the Hershey factory there produced a a smell, of course, and it was Hershey. And when you you first moved there, you loved that smell. It was a great smell because it smells like somebody's baking brownies. But eventually, your your smell, you begin to discern what you're smelling. And you kind of break it down in your mind. And over time, and you talk to some of the locals, you begin to realize, this isn't a great smell. This isn't a great smell. We've kind of cultivated that smell, because or a taste for that smell, because we, we kind of like chocolate and all this. But when you begin to look at it, you begin to see, this is not that great of a smell. And the thing is, that's exactly what we do with the world. We go after the world, oh, it smells good. It smells, oh, that's right. But then when you begin to look at it, it's dirty. It's nasty. We have to cultivate a taste for what is good. And we find that in Scripture. And in prayer. Pray. Pray. The Bible tells us, Christ tells us, to pray this way. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Now, sometimes the Lord leads us into temptation. The Lord, He allows us to be tempted so that our hearts can be exposed. And so that we can then turn away. We're not to be on our, the edge of our seat. Looking for opportunities to sin. And then if talking about the feet. We're to have beautiful feet. Those who bring the, the good news of the gospel have beautiful feet. And that's, that's what we do. When a believer becomes a believer. He puts a, has a true relationship with God. He's going to hate what God hates. Do you find yourself lusting after the world? Do you find yourself scheming? Even the plans within your own heart. Might be good things, but you're using other people to to accomplish your things. And you it doesn't matter what's good and what's bad. I'm going to accomplish my things. That's that's kind of the way we are. Now, I know that this sermon is not a very pretty picture, not a pretty picture of the human heart, but it's a reality. It's the reality. And we've got first five things that God hates we've seen. And it just exposes our own heart. And we have to evaluate ourselves, And we have to say, how are my eyes? Do I have a proud look? How is my tongue? How are my hands? How is my heart? What is the direction of my feet pointing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. For these things, we thank you for exposing us to our own selves. We would never understand the depths of our sinfulness apart from your word. It, It does what it's supposed to do, correct us. But then it doesn't stop there, Lord. It trains us in righteousness. Lord, may we put off the things that we need to put off. And may we put on the things that we need to put on in our life.